if I was a child that was alienated mm. and just say my mom kept me from my dad. Yeah. And I go to my dad and I say, well, you left me. Mm-hmm. And he says, no, I didn't leave you. Here's where I tried to fight for what, you. What are you calling years. me a liar? Are you calling me a liar, dad? You're listening to the Nacho Kids podcast, where we discuss all things step family related, real stories, real people, real help. Your hosts are the creators of the Nacho Kids Method and the Nacho Kids Academy Step Family Coaching Team, Lori and David Sims. Welcome to episode 210 of the Nacho Kids Podcast. Sup, y'all? Sup. How you been, David? Oh, man. It's been a roller coaster the past few days. It has. Your dad got sick yesterday, and we had to call an ambulance. Mm-hmm. Kind of scary. Yeah. Or as we call them down here, ambulance. Ambulance. <laughs> the meat wagon. Have you checked on him today? Yeah. He's um, doing better and uh, still don't really know anything. There you go. Yeah. So yesterday when David told me that his dad was outside sick, I said, you need to call an ambulance. And he's like, he's fine. He's just throwing up. And I'm thinking, if you're 78 years old and you're throwing up and you're dizzy, you better call an ambulance. No. Yes. You don't just you don't go straight to calling an ambulance. Come on now. But Papa never gets sick. Yeah, but come on. It'd be different if he passed out or something. He's just Well, he did. Eventually. Yeah, yeah. He became unresponsive. Yeah. But your first reaction is not, oh, you threw up. Call the ambulance. <laughs> come on now. Well, if I'm seventy eight and I'm throwing up and can't stop and get dizzy, you better call an ambulance. <laughs> Okay. okay, I'll remember that in the next however many years that is. Yeah. We can't even remember what we ate for breakfast. <laughs> Put it in your calendar. All right. So our guest today is Ginger Gentile. Gigi. Gigi. <laughs> she created a documentary called Erasing Family. Hmm. It's very interesting. Has to deal with reversing parental alienation. She is also a child of divorce. And she said, for those experiencing parental alienation, don't give up hope. It can take years. Yeah. That's a very important thing to remember. Yep. Now, we've heard of Dorsey Pruder. We've had her as a guest before. What Ginger does is not the same as what Dorsey does. Ginger doesn't involve the court system. She reunites the alienated person and the child without the courts. Hmm. So this documentary you speak of, where would I find that? The documentary can be found on YouTube. It's called Erasing Family. Okay. Not a racing family, but erasing family. Erasing. <laughs> so it's not like a documentary on NASCAR. No, it's not about racing families. It's erasing families. <laughs> Maybe it's electronic racing families. It says it is the first documentary aimed at young adults to encourage them to reunite with their erased families. Hmm. It's good. Interesting. I watched it. So I think this is good for kids that have been alienated as well as parents that are dealing with parental alienation. Mm-hmm. That's all I'm going to tell you. All right, then. You ready to get to listening? I'm ready. All right, let's do it. Today, we have Ginger Gentile, who wrote the documentary Erasing Family. Hey, Ginger, how are you? I'm doing really well, Lori. How are you? Good. And I guess you didn't just write the documentary. You produced it, correct? Well, so I 
I'm not sure if one writes a documentary. I'm a yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so I directed the Erasing Family documentary and I also produced it. So directing is, you know, you keep the 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 big picture in your head and pay attention to details. You say where the camera goes in documentary, you're interviewing the people, you're supervising the edit, and then the mm-hmm. producer is more logistics and raising money. So in this case, I raised about half a million to make a racing family. Awesome. So what got you interested in this? Were you a child of parental alienation? Were you in a blended family? What made you get into this? So actually what made me get into making documentaries about divorce, like a racing family, and now working as a coach with families suffering alienation it it wasn't my own story. It was, I met a man who the first thing I, he told me was that he hadn't seen his daughter in six years. Oh. And I like a lot of people like, oh, you must have a bad lawyer. Let's go to the courthouse. And then I realized it was a systematic problem beyond him. Mm-hmm. Now, what's interesting is I think three years into making the film, I realized I had gone through this as a kid. Yeah. And, but when you're a child, this becomes so normalized that you don't see it as a problem until you have an aha moment where you pull together that what your parents did to you was not normal, Mm -hmm. that it was traumatic. And for me, it was making a film that took me to realize it. So it took me, you know, I was in my early thirties and worked on this issue for years before I snapped out of it, which is why so many kids who suffer from parental alienation, which, you know, the way I define it is, you know, they're being prevented from loving a parent or one side of their family by someone else in the family, usually a, the other parent, but it could also be a grandparent or a step-parent. The kids don't just snap out of it. They don't just turn 18 and come back, though that can happen, because they really believe the story that they have been told and they have normalized the absence of a parent which is why mm-hmm. education is so important. Yes, definitely. And you prefer child of high conflict divorce versus alienated. Right. I prefer that, but it's it's not a big deal. I just, I just don't like to go into like who alienated you. What was it like? like I don't like to go too much into my backstory um, because my sister has requested that I don't. Okay. So I can do v- overviews, but I'm not going to say my dad this did this, my mom did this. I just keep it kind of broad. And that's perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. Were your parents divorced? So my parents did divorce when I was 13 and it was a very long drawn out divorce. Which is never easy on a child. Never easy on a child. And I think what was very hard for for me and my sister is that they lived together while going through the divorce process because now they want to give up the family home. Mm -hmm. Um, So there was constant fighting. There's always fighting, but the fighting became very constant during that time. And also you know, feeling this, that you had to pick sides. Yeah. And and then both my parents did not respond to the situation in the most mature way, which is why later in life, I, be, I, you know, it's now my mission to teach parents the skills to love their children, support their children. So they don't make the same mistakes my parents did because my parents did everything wrong in the book. Yes. Just like we did everything wrong in the book with the step families. <laughs> mm. Yeah. And it's hard. I know my mom and dad, Golly, how old was I? 30, 31 mm-hmm. when they split up. No, granted, they probably should have never been together. Mm-hmm. My childhood was threats of divorce every other week. And 
they were miserable together. Mm-hmm. But when they split up, it was still hard. Mm-hmm. Even though I was an adult and I wasn't living at home, I still went through the picking sides kind of thing. Like my mom would bash my dad and I would say, I'm not your friend. Mm-hmm. I'm your daughter. He is my father. Mm. Don't bash my dad. Mm-hmm. Now I'm a daddy's girl. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that didn't go over well. My mom and I always had a difficult relationship, I'll say. But my dad, he wasn't one that really bashed her. So I didn't have to have that discussion with him. Mm. But again, it was still difficult. And then, of course, Christmas, you're like, oh, well, whose house do I go to? And it's just, it gets very complicated. Yeah, that sounds very tough and heartbreaking as a kid to have to go through that. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about your documentary, because I did watch it. Mm-hmm. And parental alienation is, or child of high conflict divorce, <laughs> is very close to me because my sister went 11 years without seeing her daughter before she died. Wow, that's heartbreaking. And it was basically, they were married. He took the child to his parents uh, for, quote, quote, summer vacation and never brought her back. So there was no court order saying who had custody. My sister couldn't get anywhere with the police trying to help get her kid back because they didn't want to get involved. It's a family court thing. They were in different states. Mm. And my sister didn't have really the money to fight it. And honestly, she got into a very, very bad place in her life doing drugs and just looking for that one person that would, I'm not even going to say like boyfriend-wise, but just looking for that one person that was going to give her hope in people again. Mm. And like I said, unfortunately, she did pass away before seeing her daughter again. And Mm. that was horrible, horrible. I have had the opportunity to talk to her daughter a few times since my sister passed away, and she does remember some things about my sister that are good, not just the crap that other people were telling her about my sister. Mm. Yeah. So it's it's hard to go through. So tell us a little bit about your documentary, what you experienced, and Mm -hmm. just a little bit more about it. So my documentary is called A Racing Family. It's the second film I made about this topic. The first film I made is called A Racing Dad. And that came out in 2014 in Argentina, a country that I lived in for many years. And after I finished A Racing Dad, I wanted to make a new film. I moved back to the United States. And, um, you know, I started doing research. This is around 2015. So the big things that I saw were that everybody was now in social media including kids who wanted to talk about not being able to see a sibling due to alienation. So it was, it still took a few years to find the families in a racing family, but I was able to contact the kids themselves. Whereas before when I did a racing dad, you know, people like, why don't you interview the kids? I'm like, well, their parents can't even find them. Number one, but number two, where am I going to find alienated kids? Like go to a school and just be like, are you alienated? You know, like, (laughs) you know, but but now there's I, I remember one girl she wrote a, she made a video at seven years old saying how she couldn't see her brother, like just really oh, heartbreaking gosh. stuff. Yeah, my niece and nephew went through a lot when 
my sister's other child was taken. Mm. Yeah. And we forget that part. Mm-hmm. It's the whole family that's being involved. Yeah. So then um, the other thing I noticed with the racing family is how many moms were affected by this in the United States. About half my followers and about half of my coaching clients are women, are moms. And there's a lot of shame if you're a mom who can't see their kids. So um, the Erasing Family documentary follows children, adult children who have been alienated as they reunite and heal their families. So these kids have been put through the ringer, but they have decided to become the adults in the situation and reunite with their parents who they couldn't see for many years. And we follow them on their ups and downs through the bittersweetness of reuniting. And it's a great guide for parents on how to heal and reunite. But I really made the film for teenagers and young adults who go through these tough divorce situations. And the whole film is designed to give these kids an aha moment. So we push them back to reuniting because especially Mm -hmm. when kids are adults, there are things parents can do. And that's what I do with my parents who I work with. I teach them what to do to get their kids back. But the kid has to be attracted back because they're an adult. You can't get a court order. So, mm-hmm. so much of what the film talks about is about letting go of anger and healing because my definition of parental alienation is alienating is conditional love. I will love you if you don't see the other parent. I will love you if you fall in line. If you see the other parent, if you love the other parent, you will be punished. You won't get this. You won't get a car. You'll have your phone taken away. I won't love you. I'll sigh. I'll say, oh, I'm so sad when you go. I'm all alone. You know, you're parentifying the child. So the only way a parent can win this is one by just radically accepting that that's how their ex or the step parent is. They will never change, but they can stop. And the way we win the child over is through unconditional love. Mm-hmm. What the child needs is to feel that they're loved even if they hate you, even if they say, I don't want to see you, you love them back. This is different from not setting consequences. This is any emotion is okay. Because what the child is telling the other house is my emotions are wrong. I can't love the people who I want to love. So if you are suffering from this, if you can't see a child or it's just very contentious whenever they come over, you respond with beautiful, unconditional love. Right. Now, what about the adult stepchild mm-hmm. that, like you said, they're not coming around because there's no court order again or anymore? Mm-hmm. And the child, when there is communication with the parent, it's hateful mm-hmm. and disrespectful. Mm-hmm. And the child has no desire to talk about it. Mm-hmm. The bio parent has tried to talk about it, but the child's not open to it. Do mm-hmm. you feel that it's best for the bio parent to just say, I'm here when you're ready and just kind of walk away or to keep pushing for that communication, that interaction? Let's go to therapy. Let's have a family meeting to talk about these issues. Let's whatever. Which do you feel is best? I will go with the middle path, neither A nor B. 
That's what I, I always do. Because also, 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 what my clients often say is, I want to give up, or do I keep, you know, sending these messages? And I always say, well, if something isn't working, we need to reevaluate the strategy. Mm-hmm. So, if pushing isn't working, what we can do instead is working to realize how the messaging might be turning the children off, but then becoming a magnet that attracts the children back. And what parents often say is, well, how can I be a magnet to attract them back if I have no contact? And I say, it doesn't matter. Children are have an energetic bond with their parents that cannot be cut off even through death. And there's a lot of scientific studies now on how this energetic bond is strong with um, fathers. Because we often think it's just mothers because mothers have the children in the womb. But it's strong with fathers, too. Mm-hmm. So fathers, I have a friend who works at works at Harvard and she studies this, their mental health and physical health impacts the child, even if they have no contact with the child. So you are always energetically connected to your children. Mm-hmm. So by putting out positive energy, by living a beautiful life that your children want to be a part of, then displaying this life in ways that they can see, it's perhaps through social media, a blog, or reaching out, they will make the decision to seek you out or there'll be a crisis in their life where they need you. But you need right. to be ready for that because so many parents come to me and they're like, well, I, I lost all hope. This will never happen. And I was even working with one mom who's like, hadn't seen her kids in years. They're adults. And, um, you know, she's lost all hope. And then what did she tell me? Oh, I'm going to see my kids on New Year's. Okay. And this was uh-huh. like, this was like three days before New Year's. And then she's like, um, my son just moved in with me and I don't know what to do. <gasps> yeah. So, the, so, so it's good to be prepared and always have hope. So an effective strategy is to be hopeful, to envision wonderful things happening and then having strategies along the way. And also knowing that reaching out can take and reuniting can take years. So in a racing family, our main protagonists are Dizzy and Ashlyn. It's a father and daughter who had very little contact when they were growing up. She turns 18. She seeks them out. They run into each other's arms. Everyone claps, literally claps, and they begin to live in the same house together. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now he has another daughter who I interviewed in the film, and she says, I want nothing to do with Dizzy. He's not my dad. He's just my blood and DNA. My stepdad is my dad. Oh, wow. So he had two kids. Oh, yeah. He had two kids. Is it by the same bio mom? Yes. Oh, wow. That's even crazier. And because it, and often it's the younger child who reunites first. Now, I then did a follow-up video with Dizzy and Ashlyn where this was five years after the film came out. They had He had reunited with his daughter, the one who didn't who said on film, you know, in my film, she wanted nothing to do with him. They mm-hmm. actually reunited and went to Disneyland together. But it took him three years of trying constantly, consistently. And one thing he did is he'd send messages, but they're always, I'm proud of you. I love you. Hope you have a great day. No need to respond. So he's not out there saying, we need to talk. Right. We need to work on this. Um, And he also said how important it was for him to let go of his own anger. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Now, have you ever experienced kids that were not physically alienated mm-hmm. from the parent as a child. Mm-hmm. Of course, there were things that were said from the other bio parent to bash the other bio parent. But 
as the child aged, they alienated themselves. So technically, we would call that estrangement. So when a child decides not to have a relationship with a parent, for whatever reason, Mm -hmm. that is estrangement. Alienation is when there's a third party um, involved, like a step-parent, another parent, a grandparent who's blocking that relationship. Estrangement is a huge issue. Millions of children, adult children in the U.S. are estranged. They have no relationships with their parents. Mm -hmm. And... I work with parents who they come to me saying they're alienated, they're actually estranged, and I still work with them. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it might take us sessions to realize what what it's actually happening. So I was working with one dad who, you know, he he reached out to his son after 10 years of not reaching out. His son was an adult with a text message like saying Merry Christmas. And his son reaches back with this long list of things his dad did. You know, you were high in my presence, you were drunk in my presence, you this, that, that. And he was like, I'm ashamed to be your son. Ooh. And the dad, when he was working with me, his first reaction was, this is all untrue. These are lies the mother told. And then the next session, he goes, you know what? That stuff's true. I did get high around him. And then I said, well, then you know what? Sending out Merry Christmas texts isn't going to do it. You need to apologize. And yeah. so a lot of parents who... So I try not to get too much in like, are you estranged? Are you alienated? But so many parents, they give up after not having the response they want. And like, I have one client, it's been 20 years since he's talked to his daughter and he's reached out a few times. And I said, if you reach out to her, you need to apologize for not reaching out. And he's like, well, I'm alienated. I'm like, but you also haven't tried. Right. So it's important. And, you know, each case is different. It's important to have a strategy to reach out to a child that honors their feelings and their wishes, listens to what the concern is, tries to find out what the real concern is. Are they scared because the other parent will get mad? Are they truly upset because they believe things you've done? Have things that you've done been blown out of proportion? And then creating a unique strategy for that situation. Right. Now, I'm sure you've probably heard of Dorsey Pruder. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. I know her. Yes. Okay. Do y'all do similar things? Because I know she kind of works with the court system to have the child placed back into the alienated home. Right. So I'll let Dorsey answer questions about her own program. Mm-hmm. What I will say about mine is I say I reunite without the courts. Now, okay. there are many tools in a toolkit and court might be the appropriate one. Some parents have to go to court because they're being sued. They can't just walk away. Mm -hmm. So I'm not, I don't say never use the court. I just say the court is expensive. It takes time. It's stressful. It can make things worse. It's Mm -hmm. adversarial. And also most parents, what they do is they say, I'm innocent, hoping for results. And courts don't care if you're innocent or not. They care about the how and what evidence is submitted. Right. So... And most of the time, nobody wins. Nobody wins most of the time. Um, I've had one client who I did encourage to get aggressive with their court strategy, but here's the other thing. I feel that this works when you're three months in. And she called me up six weeks after not seeing her daughter and the divorce wasn't finalized. I was like, there's a lot that can be done. Your ex is trying to intimidate you. Mm -hmm. And what he's saying is, is our empty threat. I was like, no judge is going to give him what he wants. So don't be, and she got her daughter back after two sessions with me. But 
good. What parents need to understand with this is that, you know, in in the extreme cases, is it good to get a court order? Perhaps. The issue is it's very expensive and very hard to get them. So I work with the parents on how they can change their mindset. So they're positive, they're at peace, they're not holding any anger, but then also learn new skills so they communicate differently if it's necessary with their ex. So they actually stop or decrease the alienation and it is possible if they stop or decrease the alienation of the one. Mm-hmm. Number two, that they learn how to welcome their children back and be loving. And also, if needed, manage a court case so it doesn't get out of control. This is not that I help them with the legal strategy. This is you know, what questions to ask a lawyer, helping them understand how the courts actually work so they don't go in there with a fantasy. And that's so important because... We have dealt with so many people in the court system that they do have a big misunderstanding of what's going to work and what's not. Right. You can go in and say, look at all the stuff she posted on Facebook. Your attorney, you paid your attorney $1,000 to read those posts. Right. And he, they're not even going to submit them because they know that the judge is going to say, that's crazy. That has nothing to do with what we're here to address. Mm-hmm. Right. And a lot of times people feel like that the attorney isn't listening to them. And sometimes they aren't. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times it's because they know what the judge is going to care about versus what not. Right. And there are ways to communicate with an ex that do decrease the conflict. Mm-hmm. And they have to be used consistently. And we don't have time to get into those techniques now, but there, there are techniques that are specifically designed for high-conflict people to help them decrease their, their response because alienators are stuck in a trauma response and they're addicted to conflict. They mm-hmm. love seeing the other parents suffer. So we need to take away that reward for them of suffering. Mm-hmm. Respond with calmness, being firm yet friendly. So too many people, they become doormats or they fight fire with fire. As you were saying before, this is a middle way. Neither retaliation, neither letting them get away with it. Mm-hmm. And these are skills that can be learned. And the earlier they're applied, the better. So this is something where time does not help. Right. Yes. Have you dealt with parents where the child was actually taken like out of the country? I have had two clients like that. Those ca- I mean, those cases have very little remedy except legal remedy. Right. But what they can do is the mindset. So also it's, it's like, because often there is some contact. So I do have cases where there's no contact, but often there is some contact. Mm-hmm. And these parents are not being taught by professionals the correct way to respond when their children say, I never loved you. What they often say is, of course you loved me. I have all these photos and memories of how, no, 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 it's not true. Are you calling me a liar? Mm-hmm. So it's so important that we listen to the kids, acknowledge and validate what they're feeling, thank them for sharing their feelings, which is not saying that those feelings are correct or okay. Yeah, I was going to say, even if it's like, cockamamie stuff, just craziness. But you don't ever apologize for what things you didn't do. Okay. You acknowledge that that must be tough that they feel that that happened or that must be tough to feel that way. Mm -hmm. You know, you abandoned me. 
that must have been, that's awful that you feel like I abandoned you. That's awful that you felt abandoned. Right. Just, I'm sorry I abandoned you because that's not what happened. No, you're apologizing right. for the emotion. And then also in the kid's mind, if you weren't there, you abandoned them. Mm-hmm. Even if you were trying. Yeah. Sometimes it's perception. Right. Right. Even if you were trying to be there, that the kid doesn't know that. And then, and then a lot of parents want to prove that they were trying things. Right. And so you suggest not doing that. Exactly. Because kids want a mom. They want a dad. They don't want a lawyer. They don't want a detective. So if I was a child that was alienated mm. and just say my mom kept me from my dad yeah, and I go to my dad and I say, well, you left me. Mm-hmm. And he says, no, I didn't leave you. Here's where I tried to fight for what, you. What are you calling years. me a liar? Are you calling me a liar, dad? But then he's got this proof. I don't want to see your proof. I know what happened. Maybe you fake the proof. You see, you can't win when you argue. Yeah. Because the child is itching for an argument. Right. See, I'm thinking the child would be like, oh, well, let me see that. Some but maybe that's just might. because I'm I'm open-minded. <laughs> right. Some children might. And if a child requests that, that's one thing to consider. But children reunite because they experience unconditional love. They don't reunite because of proof. And I've talked to so many alienated children who either never cared to see the proof, even though their parents offered it. Mm-hmm. Parents say, I can show you everything. I don't care. Yeah. Like it's just, it's, 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 it's the love. I, I know of stories where the child would still believe the lies, but be living with the parent who the lies were told about. Really? Oh, of course. Because children respond to love and resources. They want someone who will care for them and protect them. Yeah. They don't care about what happened. And also our, what happened is so, we can never really know what happened. Most of our memories are made up. Half of our memories are not true. So, so it's just with the parent to say, I want to show what happened or they have to realize, they don't have to realize anything. This isn't a, this isn't a, who, a whodunit. This is a relationship with your children. Right. Then how, so I guess you don't even try to convince them that their memories aren't true. No, how would you like to feel if someone tried to convince you your memories weren't true? I'm probably not the person to ask because I'd be like, oh, that'd be interesting. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, most most people would be offended. Well, it's like if you talk to a Christian and you say Jesus didn't exist, it's all made up, they'll probably get offended. Yes. That's another way to look at it. So when people have have beliefs or they're angry, we cannot enter logical arguments with them. Right. They're not capable of processing logic. So the first thing we need to do is to contain them, have them calm down, and then we can have a rational conversation, but it might be about something else that's not about what happened. Right. Because they obviously don't want to talk about that. Yeah. Just exactly. kind of, how are you doing? How's school, work? Mm-hmm. Right. Those kind of things. Mm-hmm. Keep it light. Yeah. And that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Because I never thought about that until you actually just said it, that the kid can be like, oh, you're calling me a liar. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to hear anything else you have to say. Right. Even if you have concrete proof, they look mm-hmm. at it as you're calling them a liar. Exactly. Whereas I would think that before talking to you, I would think mm-hmm. that 
being able to show them something, proof, mm-hmm. would make things better. I mean, if, if a child asks for something, show it to them. Right. But it's just, it often doesn't make things better because then it's, it's, then it's, then it's not about love. It's about who has better proof. Yeah, that's true. So, and some things you can't prove if the child is saying, when I was 10, you whipped me with a stick. And if that never happened, you can't prove something didn't happen. That's a very good point. Um, And with a lot of the parents I work with, I work with them to get out of the proving and into the nurturing role of being a parent. So I'll give mm-hmm. you an example. I, wor- I worked with a mom who had very little contact with her adult daughters and the contact was always fraught. And she was always trying to learn about alienation. And when she would text her daughter, she would often give them advice on what they should do. Mm-hmm. And I read her text and I was very honest. I was like, you know what? If I was your daughter, I wouldn't want to text with you either. You you come off as annoying, know-it-all, giving unsolicited <laughs> advice and telling me that everything I'm doing in my life is wrong. Yeah. So what we did with her is we worked to get her to tap into her mother energy. So I was like, what do moms do? Well, one thing that moms do, and some people might say this is stereotypical, but I'm going to go with it, is cook meals. Mm-hmm. So I said, okay, what you're going to do is you're going to find people in your community who don't have food and you're going to cook meals for them. But she's like, well, like, I was like, there has to be someone in your community who would love a home cooked meal. Right. Has to be someone. And you're going to invite friends over and cook for them. Mm-hmm. And you're going to post all these pictures of the meals you're cooking on your Instagram. And you're going <laughs> to take down all the stuff on your Instagram about parental alienation being child abuse. That's what, that's what her Instagram, her Instagram was about. Mm -hmm. And a few months later, her daughters came back to her really because she was a mom. They needed a mommy. They didn't need a detective or a child, a parental alienation advocate, which I'm not telling parents not to be advocates or work for reforms or change, Mm -hmm. but don't do it as a way to communicate with your child. Right. You know, yes. like you do it because you want to help other people. And and when when advocacy comes from I want to help my own case, it often doesn't work. I even I even worked with one dad once. Well, actually, I, we didn't end up working together. I'll tell you why. Because he goes, I'm afraid if I reunite with my daughter, I won't be as good of an advocate. What? Because his identity was now he's in. That's that's the thing too. And this is hard for some parents to hear who are going through this. It's very easy to become addicted to becoming a, to being the victim. Yeah. And and th- that victim energy, that martyr energy, it does not attract your kids back. Right. So, so to be very careful because the world is is full of people suffering. You know, some people even say life to live is to suffer. We all suffer. Mm-hmm. And to keep that in perspective and to when you heal that hurt, that wound, that anger. That is when you can reunite. Yes. Mm-hmm. On both sides. Yes. Because you're not going to be able to reunite with them until you get rid of your anger. Exactly. And then also remember your child has been traumatized. You cannot respond adequately to a traumatized child if you are still in a traumatic loop. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes. So I think it's, it's, it's important for parents, 
even if they feel very little hope right now, and trust me, I've seen some weird, surprising stories. So I always tell people prepare to reunite because you don't know when your kid is going to knock on your door and you better be prepared because otherwise you get one meeting and then you never see them again, which is what no one talks about. The people right. who are alienated, they get one meeting and then that's it. One chance. They weren't ready. Right. So, so mm-hmm. this is different than you reaching out multiple times. But if your kid comes to you and you're still full of anger or sadness and grief, they might be like, I don't want to be around this sad person. And I had baby um, downer. <laughs> I had a woman tell me that she she was separated from her mom at age four, finds her mom at age 16. And she said her mom was so shattered by being alienated that she has a relationship with her, but it's very minimal. Mm-hmm. Because she's just so broken from it. So so parents will often say to me, well, okay, I, I, I'm suffering from this. I don't want to be happy. I don't deserve to be happy. I'm like, you know what? You need to be happy for your kids. Mm-hmm. Because that is what will bring them back. And that will give you the ability to help them and protect them. So this isn't like take care of yourself because you need a break. This is by taking care of yourself, you solve the problem. It's right. not either or. Yes. And it's very important from uh-huh. a stepmom view. Yeah. Let's talk about the stepmoms. Uh, yeah, let's talk about the stepmoms. But if a if you've got a child that has been alienated and you're the stepmom, mm-hmm. when that child is ready to come back around, you are less likely to have forgiven that child for the hurt they have caused. Mm-hmm. And you have to be careful because you can influence your significant other, or cause problems with the reunification. Mm. It's very true. So talking about stepmothers, what did you think about Karen in the film? Oh, I didn't know you were going to ask me something specific. Oh, 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 wait. She's the one that adopted the kids. Yeah. So she's the stepmom who adopted Brian and she shows him the birth certificate. Yes. And says, now it's like like your mom never happened. What did you think about that? I don't like her. <laughs> uh, I, maybe it's because of what we work with, too. Right. She can't replace mom. No. Even with a piece of yeah. paper, she can't replace mom. But she seemed to be gloating that she stole mm-hmm. this woman's kids. Yeah, I think what... Her kid. Yeah, it's what I find interesting about Karen and Brian is most people who watch the film, they're like, well, why would Brian choose, even though he reunites with his mom in the film, why does he choose his stepmom and still have a relationship with him? And it's kind of obvious what's going on to people watching it. And this is, I think, a very important lesson for parents going through this. Alienators often have some sort of personality disorder, not always. Mm -hmm. Some of these disorders, like narcissism, and people tend to forget this because they say narcissistic abuse, and that's all people talk about now. I know. Narcissists are a lot of fun. (laughs) Okay, let's talk about that for a second. They are a lot of fun. I mean, I'm a a single woman, and my girlfriends will tell me stories about going out with narcissistic guys, and they do the best first dates ever. One woman told me she was out at a dinner 
and he orders all this food and the tab comes, uh, this is an expensive place to $2,000. And you know what <gasps> he says? I got it. No one has to pay anything. It's all on me. Cause I was the one who ordered this food and everyone's like, wow. I was like, that guy's a narcissist. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, but that's great. Cause a lot of women are like, wow, what a man he pays for the whole table of all this expensive food. They love bomb. They're always, they have a lot of energy. So, but this is important for parents. If you are sad and always want to talk about feelings and process and work through things. And the other parent is let's go ice skating. And they're strong and they're able to manipulate everybody. The children will often pick the narcissist. They'll often pick, they often align with abusers Yeah. because these people, I'm not mentioning anyone specific here are also a lot of fun. They have their stuff together. Mm-hmm. They're probably successful at work. So the child says, okay, I can go with my stepmom, who is successful in her career, always planning fun activities, mm-hmm. full of energy. And if I cross her, I know she won't love me no more. Or I can go with mom, who's sad, 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 and just wants to talk about why I don't love her. Right. So it's so important for parents to keep it fun and to keep it light. It's so important. Yeah. And I think we forget that a lot. Mm, we do. I know with my son, we cut up constantly. Yeah. But I do on occasion have serious conversations with him. Mm. But they, it's almost like pick your battles kind of conversations. Mm-hmm. Like which ones do I feel like I really need to talk to him about? Or just kind of pile them all up together and do them right. at one time. So we're not having these deep in-depth conversations every right. day or every week. But when something comes up that I feel like I need to talk to him about, I can, and he's receptive to it because we're not always so serious. Right. Now, I want to t- talk to the parents out here. I think that what you just said, Lori, is is fabulous. Okay. Of course, if you are going through this, you are going to be sad and upset and depressed. Mm-hmm. because you're being traumatized. So I don't want anyone to think that the advice is, oh, just get over it. This is because a lot of parents say, oh, I've been through PTSD. And I say, no, you are going through traumatic stress now. PTSD is past. Right. <laughs> I went to war and now I hear loud noises. I think it's a bomb. That's PTSD. Mm-hmm. If you are actively being alienated, it is ongoing trauma. So the more you can get out of the trauma brain, which is a process, the more clear you see the situations and the more effective you'll be in finding strategies to communicate with your kids. But this is not to say just snap out of it. This takes a lot of work and it's okay if you're still a work in progress, but it's important just to, to keep it light with your kids, keep it fun. And then also to be in a good enough place with your kids because I mean, I worked with one mom who was so depressed. She couldn't get out of bed. She was able to go to work. She hadn't seen her kids for a very long time. So she she just stayed in bed and she had a dog. And she actually paid someone to walk the dog, even though she had plenty of time to walk the dog. Mm-hmm. I was honest with her. I was like, you want to be a mom to your kids, but you can't even take care of your dog? And she's like, well, dog's different. I'm like, I know a dog is different. I'm not saying the dog's your kid, but it represents the love and kindness you have. You have to take better care of that dog. Right. So we worked with her just to get out of bed. It took us two sessions for her to go get coffee and a cookie. Because I said, let's just go go to a, because uh, she's working from home, go to a coffee shop and get a cookie. Yeah. That's, but that is necessary to reverse this because if you 
aren't able to take care of yourself or take care of pets and other people, which is why another thing that I recommend to my parents, volunteer. Yes. It makes you feel good. You give back, you can form new relationships, you can make new friends, but it also gives you some perspective on your own suffering. Mm -hmm. But like, you know, if your kid decides to investigate you, because kids follow you on social media and they might ask about you, would you rather that people who know you say, oh, doesn't do much, stays by herself, seems kind of depressed? Or they say, Lori, the pillar of the community, the one who's always running the bake sales, <laughs> the rescues stray dogs and reads to the kids in the library. Oh, that Lori? Oh, yeah, we couldn't survive without Lori. She's So that's important too. Mm-hmm. And I know, coach, I don't do this, but maybe I should start. I encourage my clients to volunteer. I have a mentor coach who will not work with a client unless they volunteer. That's awesome. Because she's just like this, you need to get out of your own head, your own suffering, do something positive. Also, you know, going for walks, going to the gym, because it's also very easy when going through this to turn to the bottle, to turn to drugs, to turn to TV. Yes, ma'am. So you need to find something that makes you happy that's healthy. I always say, Going out for drinks is not to each their own, but you need to find healthy habits mm-hmm. that, that get your mind off this and then make it bring you back to health. Now, I'm thinking, mm-hmm. well, first of all, I, one year for my birthday, David said, what do you want for your birthday? I said, I want us all to volunteer at this Christmas event for homeless oh. people. Oh. And of course, the kids hated it. <laughs> they hated it. But they do remember it. And mm. actually, we had another event that I got them to go volunteer with. And they were much more receptive to that one. Mm. So that was really good. And then we found out that one of the kids would take his lunch and go read to the special ed kids. Mm. He didn't tell us this. We found out like through the grapevine. We're like, what? Yeah, we were really impressed. That was wonderful. So if I'm an alienated kid, mm-hmm. and you said that, say, for instance, I was alienated from my mom, that my mom could post pictures of her cooking or things like that, mm-hmm. the motherly thing. Mm-hmm. But what if the kid looks at it as, oh, great, my mom's enjoying life, and she doesn't really care if I'm not a part of it? In my experience, that's not how the kids react. And you can okay. always say to your kids, you know, not I miss you, but you can always say have some posts or share stuff like, wish you were here. Can't wait to do this with you too. Right. Or even just say, had fun with all the kids, wish so-and-so was here. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. I can see that. But I guess the way I was thinking about it is more if the kid is playing victim. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't you say that if a kid is playing victim, they're going to look at a post like that and say, oh, look at mom. She don't give two craps about me not being there. I don't think so, but I'm 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 sure there's kids out there who might. Yeah. I mean what kids don't respond to is I miss you, I want you, why can't I see you? This is unjust, this is child abuse. Your mom sucks. Yeah. Yeah, that sort of thing. In general, they do respond to they want to be a part of something wonderful. They don't want to be with someone who's depressed. So I would encourage people to post wonderful things. And if you want to mention, I wish my son was here, or or even I can't wait to show my son this wonderful pizza shop. So right. you don't have to say I'm alienated. We haven't seen each other for eight years. I miss them. I'm just like had the best pizza today. Can't wait to take Brian here. Right. 
So if he reads it, then he knows that you're thinking about him, but it's not a plea or look at me, I'm suffering. And then what if Brian posts on there, well, that'll never happen. Mm-hmm. Do you comment or you just ignore it? Or do you block Brian? Well, you should never block your child. Then you're then you're alienating them. I mean, you could say you could say sending you a hug. I mean, these are all things that have these things happened. Mm-hmm. So someone posted something and then the child said um, that will never happen on a post. Yeah. Okay. You can say sending you a hug. And then hope they don't continue to go down the negative path. Well, I mean, you're sending them a hug. Yeah. I mean, they could come back. I don't want hugs from you. (laughs) Okay. Then you can say, well, I give my hugs whether you want them or not. (laughs) There you go. I'm going to love you whether you want me to or not. I mean, yeah. I, I, I mean, it's so funny because I actually get trolled sometimes on the on, online and I'll um, people will say something awful about me and I'll just say, thanks for sharing. I love you. Mm-hmm. And they'll get upset. And like, I'm like, they'll say like, don't say I'm like, I can't stop loving you. <laughs> so I think it's just like being light about it. And every kid is different and you're the expert in your own kid. But if you have a trauma response, you can't often see how to best respond. That's true. That's true. Well, Ginger, thank you so much for being a guest on our podcast. Thank you. I know that you've helped our listeners and they need to go check you out at reversingparentalalienation.com and they need to go watch the documentary Erasing Family. Thank you so much. I just want to remind everybody out there that if they go to watch the Erasing Family documentary, it streams for free on YouTube. And if they go to erasingfamily.org, There are a ton of free resources, including a kid's bill of rights for children of divorced and separated families that might be helpful for some of your listeners in in blended families, Mm -hmm. because it says that um, all children have the right to, you know, to decide on their own relationships, um, not to be made to call a new person mom or dad if they don't want to. There's a lot of good stuff there for blended families. And also... Most of the stories in a racing family are about blended families and step-parent adoption. So I think your listeners will get a lot out of it. Yes. And to just remember that there is a lot of help out there and there is a lot of hope. It's easy to feel hopeless, but people are reuniting every day. And this year I'm on a mission to reunite 1,000 families. And I encourage everybody to surround themselves with healthy, hopeful people who are reuniting and to be careful about you know, letting in too much negative resources. Right. Just imagine and stay hopeful because I've seen so many miracles happen. Don't be caught off guard by the miracle. Yes, exactly. Well, thank you again. Oh, and we'll have you. to have you back again one day. Oh, that'd be wonderful. All right. Well, we all know that helping step families is my passion. And within that passion, there are things that get me riled up. And that would be? The family court system (laughs) and the family court system. I am actually a member of some groups of alienated parents. And unfortunately, I will say mostly men. Mm -hmm. And it's sad. Yeah, it is. We have had several guests on our podcast over the years who have experienced alienation, who have been on the verge of ending their life, who have turned to alcohol or drugs, 
because of the alienation. And we get that in some cases it's warranted. We get that. But in the majority of cases that I've seen, it's not. Mm-hmm. And it's not just the parent alienating the child from the other by a parent. Again, the court system helps alienation. Mm. That's not good. No, it's not. But a little glimmer of hope I have seen recently where more courts are starting to take into account the severity of alienation. That's good. Mm-hmm. There's a positive that you just said about the court system. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> and for those that do not know, my sister went through this, and she died without seeing her daughter. Yeah. And maybe that's why this is such a sensitive topic for me. I don't know if sensitive is the right word, but... It's a real topic. Like you've you've endured it, encountered it. You've lived it. I saw her live the pain. Yeah. Every story is unique. Every court case is unique in its own way. And with my sister, it was basically, I'll give you the Reader's Digest version. Her and this guy were together. They actually were together in high school. They got back together, got married, had a baby. He decides to take the little girl to visit his mom in a different state. Uh, for her to go stay for a couple weeks, which was not abnormal. But this time, he didn't come back. My sister goes up there and tries to get her kid, and they said, sorry, we're going to arrest you for trespassing. You have no court order stating that you have custody. They weren't even divorced. (laughs) So he technically did not kidnap her, but the same lack of paperwork that did not say he kidnapped her also took away my sister's rights. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. So by the time she went to court to try to get things straight with this issue, considering it's two different states, caused a huge problem. My sister did not have the money to fight it. Another huge problem. And she had been without her daughter for several years at this point and had turned to other means to help her cope, which did not help her at all. Yep. So... I know that this little girl is now an adult. We have spoken with her a few times. And thankfully, she does have some good memories of my sister and not just the bad memories that were implanted in her head by her grandmother and father. Mm. But it's sad. Yep. It's sad that somebody would poison another human against somebody that's their it's their kid. Well, it's like I've said before, too often the hate for the other bio parent outweighs the love for the child. Yep. That's a perfect way to put it. And you know what he told her? What what he told who? What Dawn's baby daddy mm-hmm. or husband, I guess at the time, said to her when all this happened. What's that? That's what you get for breaking up with me in high school. <laughs> what? Yeah, like this was uh, this whole master plan to, oh, okay, let me get back with her and hurt her. Or or was that just his way of feeling good about what he did? I don't know how he feels good about anything. Yeah, I don't either. Yeah. Well, I have some opinions of how I would have handled it, but I will not air them in public. 
<laughs> well, even after her death, he made life difficult. Yeah. More than it uh, had to be. Mm-hmm. I remember that. And um, let's just say Lori practices forgiveness, but that doesn't mean that I forgot what an evil person you are. Yeah. Anyway. It's true. It is true. On a happier note, my sister is no longer dealing with that. She has moved <laughs> she's, on. She's not, for sure. Mm-hmm. But for those of you that are experiencing parental alienation, please know that our hearts do go out to you. And I think back to the guy that we met at that conference in Texas, David, how he took his kids on vacation and things were great, come back home, and all of a sudden, poof, things were good, and all of a sudden, things aren't, and don't know why. Yeah. Yep. Mm. Again, if you are experiencing parental alienation, we know that it is not easy. We know there are places that can give you hope and help. Yep. And it's like everything else. Everybody's different. You may find one person that helps with parental alienation, but what they're telling you doesn't make sense. It doesn't sit well with you. Then go to somebody else. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I do have the honor of announcing the winner of the Sylvia Krakauer Nacho Kids Academy Scholarship. All right. And this winner is dum, da, da, dum, Carly W. Congratulations. Carly, check your email. We get you started on a better life. That's right. All right. We're going to call this the No Excuses Scholarship. The No Excuses Scholarship. There you go. <laughs> I like that. That'll be the new name for it, No Excuses Scholarship. And if you want to apply for the No Excuses Scholarship, <laughs> you can go to nachokids.com slash scholarships. Oh, David, we haven't talked about my baby boy graduating. Oh, well, maybe we should do that on the next opener. Maybe. Talk about the family crap with that. <laughs> yeah, happy times. Yep. All right. So next week, join us when we talk about the happy crap from Jackson's graduation. <laughs> All right, folks. Remember, life is good when you nacho. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Nacho Kids podcast. Find us online at nachokids.com. Until next time, remember, life is good when you nacho.